Have you ever been through a difficult time? And, and hold on. <laughs> Love the eagerness. Love it. Have you ever been through a difficult time and wish there was someone who had been through something very similar, if not exactly like it before you, that could give you advice? Like, hey, I've been through this. I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. Here's what helped me. Don't you love friends like that that can come alongside you and give that kind of advice? And, you know, one of the the difficulties of things we struggle with so often is that feeling like nobody's ever gone through this before. I'm the only one struggling with this. And so any advice, any help that others try to give us, we kind of dismiss it like, well, yeah, but you haven't actually been through what I am going through. The church of Jesus Christ faces a difficult time today. Statistics show very clearly the church attendance has been steadily declining, declining at a fairly consistent rate ever since the mid-1950s. The truth is that our culture no longer supports or encourages and to some degree even accepts what we believe. And so we are in a difficult situation. And there's that feeling like, what? where can we get help? What, what can help us to understand what it means to be Christians in this world today? What can help us to understand what it means to be a church in a culture that doesn't support what we believe or is even turning contrary to what we believe? Where can we look if only there was someone that could help us? Times like these, they cause us to question our identity. What's the point of the church anymore? If things have changed so much, what's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of the church? Maybe we just need to change. Maybe we need to consistently change in order to remain relevant to our world. And again, I go back to the question, what if... There were people who had been through this before who could help us to know what we should do. And the answer is, there are. And not just people with opinions that are helpful that went through something similar. Not even just experts who have studied these things. We have in the Bible... People writing under the divine inspiration of the Lord Most High, writing to a church in a culture that does not accept them, does not support them, and that is changing rapidly. And these letters are written to tell them, here's what it means to be a church. We have it right here. We're in this sermon series called Focal Point. We've been going through kind of the grand storyline of Scripture. What are the main points of Scripture with what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation? And we're up to the point now where last week we talked about Acts and the spread of the church and the world. We looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's presence dwelling in us. And now we're up to this point in the New Testament where there's all these letters. Letters written by various authors, most of them by the Apostle Paul. But you've got the two brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers, I should say, uh, Jude and James. They write a letter. You've got the Apostle John. He writes some letters. Uh, Peter writes some letters. Hebrews, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, But we've got a bunch of different people that write letters to the churches saying, this is what it means to be a church. And as we 
look at these letters, there are several things that come out that are of utmost importance. And so I I was wrestling with how to do this in the sermon series. How do we take a big picture approach and look at the letters? And so I've decided rather than going letter by letter, theme by theme for each of the books, I want to kind of tie together some themes, which is what we've been doing throughout this series, to look at what was most important and what is most important in these letters. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. We're going to look at what was most important for each author. What would they say is most important for the church? That's what we're going to look at today. Then we're also going to look at how do they deal with struggles in their world? How do they deal with struggles in the church? How are they supposed to live as Christians in their world? And we're going to take all of that over the next couple of weeks and apply it to us to answer that question. What does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world today? And today we're going to look at what I believe is the most overwhelming topic emphasized throughout the letters consistently over and over and over again, and that is the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the church and the inseparability of the gospel from the church. And and what I'm going to suggest is that what the letters teach us from the New Testament is that if you take the gospel out of the church, you have lost the church. There is no point to it whatsoever anymore. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the church go together. And if we get this wrong, none of the rest of it matters. How we interact with the world, how we operate as Christians, the way we live our lives, none of it matters if we get this wrong. And so as we go through this, I want you to think about two important questions. The first is, what is the church? What is it? And the second is, what is the purpose of the church? Hopefully those two things go together. But what is the church and what is the purpose of the church? And we're going to look at this link between the gospel and the church, and we need to start with understanding that it is the gospel that creates the church. There is no church unless we start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be jumping around to several passages today. I will try to put them up um, on the slides for us. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 19 through 22. Because Paul answers this question, what is it that makes the church? What is the foundation of the church? Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now here, Paul is talking to people. He's not writing this to a structure. He's not writing to a building saying, hey, you are the church, the dwelling place of God. He's writing to a group of people. So that's, that's the beginning of the answer to the question, what is the church? It is a group of people. It's not a place. It's not a facility. It's not a location on a map. It is a group of people. 
And he describes this building as a temple, a dwelling place for God. Now, that's a review from last week, so I'm not going to go into this, but you can look that up if you want to listen to the sermon of last week in Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the church are people saved by Jesus Christ who have the presence of God in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we look back to verse 20, we see this built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So here's Paul getting at that question, what makes a church a church? And understand again, he's writing to people. He's not talking about a literal building. So he's saying the church is based on, founded on something. And he says it's the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Now, in that culture, the cornerstone was the most important aspect of the foundation of a building. The cornerstone would be set first. And it was sculpted or, or I don't know, what do you call it when the masons chisel out a stone? Shaped? Chiseled? We'll go with that. Not a mason, okay? But it was shaped in such a way that it was exactly the size and the dimensions and had the exact angles that it needed to be. Because what they would do is put that in place. And where that cornerstone went, that dictated the rest of the building. The direction the cornerstone faced, if it was off by a degree or two, it would make the rest of the building off. Because what they would do is take every angle off of the cornerstone. It determined the rest of the building. And so Paul says, that's the cornerstone of the church. What determines who we are as a church is Jesus Christ. And then the foundation that is laid around that cornerstone is from the apostles and the prophets. And in the New Testament, the apostles had a very specific role. They were the ones that were the witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And their chief role was to tell people, we saw Jesus Christ die on the cross and raise from the dead. We are witnesses of that. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, Judas has left the apostles. He's gone his own way. He ended up committing suicide. And and so they decide, we've got to replace Judas. And they have a prerequisite. It must be someone who was with Jesus and who is a witness to the resurrection. We also see this in another place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians is a very interesting letter. We're going to look at it more in a couple weeks. The church at Corinth was an absolute mess. Just a complete mess. They were falling apart. There was infighting, backbiting, conflicts. It was an absolute mess. And and the book of 1 Corinthians, or rather the letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, is Paul's attempt to enter into that mess and give them direction, how to kind of untangle this. But one of the things he says is here in chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So they're arguing about all these things. He's like, hey, guys, remember something. Remember what's most important. Remember the gospel. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What Christ, uh, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, it's another name for Peter, and then to the 12. And he goes on to say he also appeared to a bunch of other people. But he says to them that this is what saves them. And he says it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls this the thing that is of first importance. The first thing that the church must focus on, the thing that is absolutely most important is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead. Now, I I know some of you are like, duh. I mean, come on, pastor, we know this. We hear this all the time. We need to keep on hearing it. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The word gospel means good news. I want to take those in opposite order. News is an actual verifiable fact that is being reported by eyewitnesses. It actually happened. It's not a rumor. It's not an opinion. It's not just one among a bunch of other beliefs. It is a verifiable fact. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a fact that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God, died in our place on the cross, and rose from the dead. And many people are witnesses to this, and they have written down their testimony to us. So it is news. It's not one among many good ways to live your life. It is news. And it is Good news, great news, phenomenal news. It is the most incredible news ever. It is the news that every single person born throughout all of history needs to hear. The news that we can be saved through Jesus Christ. Listen to the emphasis on the gospel in some of the other New Testament letters. Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul gives his purpose for writing the book of Romans. And he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The rest of Romans is an exposition on the importance and the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is one of the most deep and theologically rich books. And it's all about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, we looked at this already. To this church that's struggling, he says, remember the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Listen to the words that Paul says. This is another church that was struggling with some false teachers that were coming in. And Paul, he, he begins his letter this way. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I could go on and on 
We could look at every single letter where the gospel is emphasized as central and core to the church of Jesus Christ. We could look at the first chapter of Ephesians where Paul goes into great details to the blessing of the gospel we have. In Philippians, Paul thanks the people for the partnership in the gospel. In Colossians, Paul thanks God that the Colossian believers have heard and believed the gospel and that the gospel is bearing fruit on and on and on, writing to many different churches and many different situations, some under persecution, some doing great, some falling apart, and over and over and over again, what does he say? Focus on the gospel. Please understand that as a church, it is impossible for us to overemphasize the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is who we are. It is why we exist. And the truth is, the gospel is what makes the church the church. It's what separates us from every civic organization in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we lose that, we lose our soul and our identity and our purpose. The church exists because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to save us from our sins. That is who we are, people saved by Jesus. There is no church without the gospel. But then what? Okay, so, so, so we hear the gospel, we maybe receive Jesus, we pray a prayer and we say, yes, I accept that Jesus died in my place. Well, now what? What does it mean to be a church and to grow and to be at work in this world? What does it mean to grow as a Christian? I got the gospel, Pastor. What's next? Well, guess what's next? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The church continues with the gospel. We, it's not the beginning of the church only. It's not the beginning of the Christian life only. It is the continuation. Everything that we do is going deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never leave behind the gospel. We only go deeper into it. The church is to grow and to continue with the gospel. Look back at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We looked briefly at this earlier. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were offering a substitute to the church. Oh, that stuff about Jesus, that's good news. That's great. We have some other good news. We have some other ways to have a fulfilling life, to live a righteous life, to live for God. We have some other good news. And Paul calls this a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Because when we look away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing else can take that place. Everything else is less than the great news of Jesus Christ. We like so often in the modern church to find other things that are good that we can believe in. Other things that are good that we can trust in. And there's always this pressure from inside the church and outside the church to move on from the most basic and important truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
died on the cross, and rose again. It's like, that's good, but now I'm looking for something more. And Paul says in his letters, don't look for something more. Go deeper in the riches of the gospel. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 again. I want to look at two prayers of Paul. Two prayers of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. And then another one, actually one in Ephesians 1, one in Ephesians 3. Let me just read this and and listen to Paul's heart and what he's praying for, for the Ephesian church. It says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power to for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you hear Paul's beating heart for these Christians who have received the gospel? They've become a church, and now they might be thinking, okay, what's next? And Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. Go deeper in the gospel. I pray that you would know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would grow in their understanding. He makes this even more clear in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I love Paul's prayers. Because you see the beating heart of someone who loves the church and what is most important for him to pray for. And what's so amazing, he's not praying for their protection. He's not praying that they would avoid persecution. He is praying that they would know the gospel. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, here's what's next. Explore the beauty and the richness of God's love to you that we know about and has been given to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we accept the gospel, we have entered into this new creation, this new world that God says, explore it. Know how much I love you. Go deeper in it. Be amazed at how much God loves you. The gospel is not just the starting point of the church It is what the church must continue with. We never move on from the gospel. 
It is not just this basic children's Sunday school teaching. It is the richness of who God has called us to be by saving us through his son, Jesus Christ. So when we gather as the church, this is our focus. To grow in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To grasp the implications of this truth that has raised us to new life. And to talk about that and work through it. What does it mean to be believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how does that change our lives? Everything in the Christian life and everything in the church is an application and outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the foundation or the beginning of the church. The gospel is how the church continues. It is our constant focus as we learn and explore the depth and the height and the width of God's love and the beauty of God's love for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for what purpose? Like, what's our goal? Well, guess what? The goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you're sensing a theme here. And please, please hear me. This is not Dave Day giving you Dave Day's opinion. This is the overwhelming weight of the letters of the New Testament. These things are repeated over and over and over and over again. We need to know what the goal of the church is. Because if... The goal of the church is for us, Christians, or just participants, spectators. If the goal is for us to feel good, be enriched, be challenged, whatever it is. If the goal is for us, then we will change what we do to suit us. If the goal of the church is for them, those outside the church that we're doing everything that we can for their sake, then we will change what we do to suit them. But what if the purpose of the church is not actually for us or for them, but is for something greater? We looked at the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. At the end of that prayer where he prays that they would explore the width of God's love for them, expressed through the gospel, he says this, In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love Paul's writing because he writes with such passion. And and this, I think, is one among many of these passages where it's like he just can't help himself. He's talking about these great theological truths. He's praying for the church, and then he just busts out in worship because his heart is just so overflowing with joy. And in that moment of worship, he says, God, I want you to be glorified in the church. And church, I want you to know that your ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This comes at a very important place in the letter of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about the gospel that saves us and why it saves us and how it saves us and how important it is to be saved. And then in the rest of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, he's going to talk about, okay, now how to live that out. And right here in the middle, he says, don't miss this. Your salvation, chapters 1 through 3, 
And your life living out that salvation, chapters 4 through 6, is all about bringing glory to God. It's not about us, and it's not about them ultimately. It's about God and his glory. Now, why does this matter? Why is this so important here that we see that this is Paul's understanding of the ultimate purpose or goal of the church? Why is it important to understand that it's not about our comfort? It's not ultimately about fixing the problems of the world. It's not about making people feel happy and accepted. Why is it so important to understand that the work of the gospel in the world and therefore the purpose of the church is ultimately the glory of God? Why is that so crucial? Here's why. Because no matter what's going on in the church, or I'm sorry, in the world, and no matter what's going on in the church, that purpose never changes. Never. Whether we live in a culture that upholds what we believe and supports it and everybody's on board and thousands and thousands of people are just wanting to go to church or the culture is changing and they're turning against us, our purpose remains the same, the glory of God. When the church is founded on the gospel, and we see our mission to continue in the gospel, something amazing happens. We are constantly pointing away from ourselves, away from how great we are as individuals, how great we are as a church, and we are pointing to Jesus Christ who saves people. That's what happens when we make God's glory the ultimate goal of the church. There are two implications of understanding that the goal of the church is the gospel. The first, I think, is very obvious. We should spread the gospel, share the gospel. Weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission, the call to go into all the world and take the good news of the gospel. The gospel is news which must be shared, it must be preached, it must be proclaimed, it must be discussed, it must be talked about. That is a goal of the church, it is a purpose of the church to be carriers, bearers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. But there's another important implication. The church of Jesus Christ is a display of the gospel. We are the example held up by God to say to the world, you want to know what it looks like to be saved by Jesus? Look at my bride, the church. Well, that's humbling. And that's a high calling. Because we're a mess. We don't always display God's glory perfectly. But even in that, his glory gets displayed because we get to say it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's not about how great we are, it's about how great he is. Ephesians is such a good model for this. He spends three chapters talking about what it means to be saved, and then he says, now let's look at how this applies to every area of your life. And that's what chapters 4 through 6 is about. What does it look like to live as a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And right in the middle, he says, remember, point of all of it is the glory of God. Everything we do as Christians, all of our acts of obedience, all our effort to maintain unity in the church, all of our love for fellow believers and our love for those outside the church, all of it 
is based on and reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, you're a Christian, you've received the gospel, now live it out in everything that you do. Display the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. So not only do we begin with the gospel as a church, we continue with the gospel as a church, and the gospel is our ultimate goal as a church to proclaim and display the good news of the gospel. Let me educate you a little bit on how to listen to sermons. There should come a point in every sermon where a question is in your head, and it is the question, so what? Come on, pastor. Who cares? This is just religious stuff. You're just talking about the gospel. I got the gospel. I received Jesus when I was a kid. I received Jesus 10 years. I got that. But my work is a mess. My family is struggling. And my relationship with my spouse is struggling. What do I do about that? What difference does it make? And then we look at our culture and we say, well, things have changed. We're not as supported in the culture as we used to be. We're not as uh, upheld as good. Now we're looked down upon as Christians. As a pastor, my position in society has drastically changed. The position of pastor used to be one of the most trusted people in in all of society. Now it's like the least. I'm like the scum of the earth. The very fact that I'm a pastor means that a lot of people in this world automatically assume that I'm a cheat and that I'm only in it for the money and I'm just completely lying. No, no, that's what they believe of me. I'm not saying it's true. I think that's what you're saying and I appreciate that. But because of this change, there's so much pressure on the church to change and adapt. There's pressure from outside the church to change what we believe in, what we proclaim. There's pressure from within the church to change as well. There's a pressure to uphold traditions. This is what it means to be the church and all these things that have come in that are less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's pressure to uphold those things. Focus on it more and more. There's a pressure to completely change everything. Well, if we want to love those people and certain things are offensive to those people, let's not say that anymore. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about salvation. Let's not talk about resurrection because that just doesn't make sense. We know people can't come back from the dead, so we just won't talk about it anymore. And we'll change what we talk about to make it more acceptable. And there's a good motivation behind that. But through either of those things, holding on to tradition or changing because of our culture, do you know what happens to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It disappears. It vanishes from the church. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ vanishes from the church, I don't care how big or supposedly how healthy that church is, it is no church at all. It has lost what makes it a church. Our world and Christians today are constantly being tempted to seek a substitute good news. Something else to make us feel good. Something else to fill the holes in our life. 
As a church, we, we feel this pressure and sometimes we give in to that pressure and we say, well, the role of the church is to judge the culture. And we develop a holier than thou attitude. And there are whole churches that are carving out their identity by being judges of the culture. Other churches say, well, our goal is to care for the poor and the oppressed. And we're going to redefine all that we do to care for the poor and the oppressed. Other churches are saying we're just going to be open and welcoming to anybody. We're here to just kind of offer therapy to make people feel better. All of this, all of these things are substitute gospels that are no gospel at all. They miss the main point. If the church is not primarily about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is no church at all. And this is what is emphasized over and over and over again through the letters of the New Testament. But there's one more implication I want to make in closing. This connection between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church has one more very important application. We cannot love Jesus without loving the church. And I know at this moment I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here. But maybe someday somebody's going to hear this online because they've given up going to church and they're just going to listen to things on, online or watch a video and, and they say, well, I, just, I don't do church that way. I, I do my relationship with Christ on my own. You cannot separate the gospel of Jesus Christ from the church, the bride of Jesus Christ that it shapes and forms. Friends, you need the church. We're a mess. We mess up. We are not perfect. But guess what? Neither are you. And together we can come together and focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that accepts messed up people and adopts us as God's children. So how can we be a church as the world changes? What is it that we are to focus on and keep foremost as a church in a changing culture? The answer is clearly this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died in our place on the cross. He has risen from the dead and promises eternal life to all who believe. We exist as a church because that is true. We exist as a church to proclaim that that is true. And we exist as a church to continue to grow in our understanding of that truth and to proclaim that truth to this world and to live our lives as a visible display of that truth at work in us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the heartbeat and life of the church that has never changed and never will, no matter what this culture may do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so tempting at times to get anxious over the ways of this world, And to start thinking that we need to reinvent the church, reinvent our message, change what we believe. And Father, I pray, I pray for Orchard Community Church, this local gathering right here in Greece, New York. I pray that you would keep our hearts and our minds focused on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray for our brothers and sisters around this area and around the world 
We are all in this together and we are all struggling in various things. And I pray that you would keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray on behalf of your people scattered around the world that you would forgive us for the many ways we have accepted substitute gospels that are no gospel at all. And I pray for each person here, Father. If nothing else that I've said today about the church matters to them or makes sense to them, I pray that they would hear their greatest need is the great news that your son has died to save them. and That they can be changed and made new. And Father, for those that have accepted that and are wondering now what? Help us to go deeper in the gospel, in our Sunday schools and small groups, at at our, our quiet times alone in our homes or around dinner tables with our families. May we go deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then help us to proclaim that truth and to live that truth as living demonstrations of the gospel so that in all things, you would get the glory, not us. That what we would point to is not how great or awesome we are or this world is, but we would point to how great and awesome your son, Jesus Christ, is. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.